Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 171st episode of the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, David Dawson. Thank you for joining us once again. This is our second episode of the New York leg of the Intellectual East Coast Tour, and uh, it's with Terry Schreiber of the T. Schreiber Studios here in New York City. Uh, T. Schreiber Studio and Theater is one of the most respected acting classes and, uh, and theaters here in New York. And um, I had the honor of getting to sit down with Terry himself. Um, he's been running T. Schreiber Studios for 48 years and uh, has a long list of students who've come through his program that you absolutely will recognize. And we talked about a few of those uh, in the course of the discussion. Um, but it's a fantastic conversation with a, a man who has been a student and a teacher of performance art for a very long time and um, it was just really cool to get to converse with him about the art and uh, the business and kind of charging forward and believing in yourself and not not second guessing yourself just just keeping at it um, it's a very inspiring discussion, at least it was for me. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, and if you're in New York City at some time, make sure you te- check out T. Schreiber Studios. Uh, you can check them out on the web at tschreiber.org. That's T-S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R.org. And uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful uh, 12 or 13 days here in New York City. And um, today I'm going to hop in a truck uh, full of gear and head down to Philly for the next leg of my uh, my job that I'm doing back here on the East Coast, uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And then I'm uh, going to spend a little bit of time in Indiana and visit some family that I haven't seen in years, so that's going to be really nice. And uh, we'll be in Chicago at the end of the month, and i uh, got kind of a uniquely different interview lined up in Chicago. It's not the sort of thing we usually do on this podcast, but uh, I'm super excited for it, and uh, it might be the start of some branching out for the intellectual uh, into some new uh, categories of discussion, some new areas of things to talk about. So uh, be on the lookout for that down the road. Uh, we're going to have some big announcements in October, uh, things that are coming up with uh, intellectual entertainment. Can't wait to share a bunch of that stuff with you. And uh, until then, enjoy this interview with T. Schreiber on the 171st episode of the Intellectual Podcast. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. Hey, everybody. I'm sitting here with Terry Schreiber. And uh, we're at your studios mm-hmm. here in, uh, is this Midtown? Sort of, the Chelsea area. The Chelsea area. <laughs> Chelsea. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out my way around New York. I've been here twice before, but never for anything longer than about a day and a yeah. half. So yeah. I kind of know how to use the subway, but. <laughs> it's a whole revitalized area of the city. Yeah, well, when we moved in here, it was just all gray, <laughs> and now there's hotels all over the place and restaurants. When, when did when did you move into this building? Uh, I would, I think, around ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah, was and that? It's a very interesting area the way it's developed with restaurants. A lot of the West Village gay scene has moved up here, 
and and dust the restaurants, right? right? And uh, it's just a really nice area of the city. That's cool. Very nice. Called um, Chelsea. Yeah, you're not very far away from Penn Station nope. and Madison Square Walking Gardens. Distance, and, yeah. Um, I believe Upright Citizens Citizen Brigade is yep. nearby. and On 23rd Street. Um, just get, trying to give people an idea where we are. <laughs> no, when we first moved in, this block was just gray. There was a pool hall at the end of the block on 6th Avenue. <laughs> and then two hotels came in and with restaurants. And this just started. Is that the Hilton that's across the street from yeah. me here? Yeah. And then I, I can't forget the one. The Holiday is up the street. Okay. But I think the real estate went from $16 per square foot to about 46 or more. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a jump. Yeah. Um, so you are a director and an acting teacher. And is there anything in the, in the multi hyphenate that I'm missing? No, I was an actor for about 10 years. I okay. came to New York in 1960 and I started teaching in 1969. I opened my own studio. So we're 48 years old here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a, it's, it's actually longer than I've been around. So, <laughs> okay. um, it's it's an honor to get to talk to someone who's had a career that long in in what Thank we do. Um, yeah, we've held on. Yeah, high water. We uh, held on. I'm only we've 16 been... years into my career, and I'm still struggling to keep my yeah. career afloat. So but you just gotta hang in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, where did you come from? I came from Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay, yeah. yeah. One of one of my dear dear friends is from that area. Oh yes, yeah. From Minneapolis or St. Paul? Yeah, yeah. He's from Minneapolis. Oh, that's a good city. That's a real progressive jumping city. St. Paul is kind of like Brigadoon. It's just <laughs> a little bit of sleep, but it's a nice city and it's yeah. a safe city. But Minneapolis is where the nightlife is. And- Growing up there, when did you when did you start to get the wandering eye that you were going to go somewhere else? In college, yeah, yeah, I knew pretty much in college when I, uh, because I, uh, I was a big jock in high school. Uh, what sport did you play? Uh, football, hockey, and baseball. Oh, so multi hyphenated the sports too, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, I just uh, started. I, I was out of school a year. I was going to radio school to be a, a radio announcer, probably a disc jockey, and I really wanted to go back to college. And because I jocked my way through high school, uh, I didn't even know what a noun was when I graduated. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't get into college because my college aptitudes were too low. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, my high school football coach came along with me. I was hitchhiking to work uh, and said, how's McAllister? And I said, I couldn't get in. And he said, why? And I said, because my college aptitude was too low. And he said, how about Hamlin? I said, no, same thing. He said, do you want to go to college? And I said, I really want very badly now to go to college. And he said, would your parents object if you went to St. Thomas? It's a Catholic college. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I grew up with the Dykes. The football coach was across the street from me. I said, they wouldn't object at all. And uh, uh, two weeks later, I was in St. Thomas. And wow. I had, uh, I don't mean to sound egotistical with this, but when I interviewed at McAllister, uh, the man in charge of entry or whatever told me to go learn a trade. And it was my <laughs> proudest moment to graduate from St. Thomas. And I wrote him a letter. I waited four years to write that letter. Mr. Scoggins was his name. And I wrote a letter <laughs> saying, the next time you give somebody this advice, I suggest you take into account their adaptability and their will, because I'm graduating from St. Thomas with an A minus in my major, and I think we're higher scholastically than you are. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I had <laughs> that such must have a felt pleasure really to good. write that letter. <laughs> I never got a reply, but I had such pleasure to write that letter. Because <laughs> you, you can't, I mean, if somebody's got a will, uh, you'll do it. 
Yeah. You know, it's just like what you were saying at the beginning with where you are with your career. And you've got to just will it and hang in there. Yeah. My dad used to say, um, it doesn't matter if you fail trying to make the attempts. Yeah. So long as you just keep making the attempts. Yeah. He's like, you keep throwing yeah. stuff at the wall. Eventually yeah. it's going to stick. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing about playing football. Because you get knocked on your butt and you better get up and knock back. You're going to spend the longest 60 minutes of your life. It's a wonderful <laughs> lesson. <laughs> I, I, I played soccer growing well, up. Okay. And, and I was on a competitive team that didn't win a game for oh. four years. Oh. <laughs> I was the goalkeeper. Oh, God. So I got pummeled yeah. every game. Well, I had to get back up and you keep You got to get back up. But by the end of those four years, because I was on a team that struggled so hard, I was one of the best goalkeepers in, in the country right. <laughs> because I was worked so hard. Yeah. You know? So like the struggle yeah. helps, yeah. you know, and if you're, struggle helps if you're the, the type of person ahead. who yeah. can keep pushing yeah. past that struggle yeah. and I in want the end, this. you're better. <laughs> <laughs> I think if it's something comes too easy to somebody, they don't appreciate the work they don't. that they've got to put yeah. into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so after you graduated, did you immediately come to New York? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I had done summer stock uh, my sophomore, junior and senior year. And I, I graduated, did a year of summer stock. Uh, at the Paul Bunyan Playhouse in Bemidji, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> and then I came directly to New York. And, and what was that transition like? Oh, those first, I wouldn't want to relive those first two years for no? anything in the world. I had an apartment, I think $16.50 a week, and all the roaches you could kill before you opened the door. <laughs> like knocking on the door and saying, fellas, I'm coming in. You want to hit the road here? <laughs> right? They sit but, down for breakfast yeah. with you. <laughs> they, jobs. Give you they give you the bowl of cereal. <laughs> right, right, right. So getting an apartment and getting settled and, you know, trying to, make rounds as an actor and study at the same time. Uh, those first two couple of years were really, really tough. Yeah. Uh, did you ever feel like you were going to like cave in on that or no, no, no. always I, had no, the determination. I really wanted this. I really wanted this. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what changed after two years? Uh, well, I, I was getting work as an actor. Uh, and then there were long periods when I was not working and I had studied a lot. Uh, and my wife at the time said to me, why don't you try teaching? Because she said, I was working for Gray Line as a, a tour guide. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was kind of seasonal. It's good money because it was during World's Fair time. But uh, then it would be an office job. And uh, my wife also was very supportive at the time. She had a good job. Uh, and then there was unemployment. But uh, I thought, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I called around at a couple of places and I started teaching at two different places. And after one year, I thought, wait a minute, you know, I'm doing all this work and, and I'm getting this fee for it. But why don't I just go on my own? So I took 12 students and started on my own in 1969. Nice. And uh, then we built it. Nice. You know, we bounced around. I, I started at Paul Curtis's American Mime Theater, Reading Space mm -hmm. on Third Avenue. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, uh, Milton Katsellis, who was a wonderful director, he's passed away. Uh, he needed somebody to move into his space with him. So I moved up to East 81st Street. And we were there a couple of years and then took over a summer theater. As a, as an instructor, do you, did you ever, certainly when you started instructing, cause it sounds like that wasn't something you intended to do. Um, did you find yourself struggling with whether or not you had anything to teach? Uh, cause I've got some friends who are teaching acting in San yeah. Diego and they're very talented actors, but they've got this kind of hang up that like, no, I don't, I don't know that I really 
I don't know that I really have anything to offer these people. You know, I, I feel like a fraud. Yeah. And I think a lot of us in, in the creative world feel like a fraud normally yeah. any, anyway, just we're all insecure. But, um, did you ever have that kind of feeling uh, or? No, this sounds very egotistical, but I had confidence. I had mm -hmm. done a lot of work, a, a lot of study with Michael Howard. I was with him for four years, studied with Uta Hagen. and I studied with uh, Michael Kahn. Uh, and I picked up a lot of exercises, mm -hmm. uh, even going back to, I think, a book called Joy. There was a wonderful bunch of Eslan kind of exercises mm -hmm. in it that are great opening up kind of exercises and touchy-feely exercises, but you know, getting into your body and sensory awareness. And I really had absorbed Michael's work. I was with him for four years. Uh, and Michael's kind of a cross between uh, Strasbourg and Meisner. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started teaching with a very small class. We started doing productions right away. And in a college, I had directed. And, you know, I, I thought I, I'd never be able to live not being an actor. And all of a sudden, our first year, uh, I did a production of The Crucible. And from there on in, it just, I thought, I am more fulfilled by this than I've ever been as an actor. And I did some very good roles, uh, some really meaty roles. Yeah. But I said, it's much more fulfilling working on the whole than it is working on the part. Yeah. And I, 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 I direct film and I feel, yeah. the, I feel the same way, yeah. though. It's like, I, I, I love that as a director... Like I, I'm looking at the whole picture, the yeah. the vision of the entire production, yeah. not just one particular character's motivation, but all 20 yeah. characters' motivations. Yeah. And how does the set affect that yeah. motivation? And yeah. how do we use the camera to effectively portray that motivation? Yeah. And like, I feel like it's acting, but it's like hyper enhanced. Yes, <laughs> it is. And it's, it's you know, and, and your concept of the script and communicating that. And casting, which I think is 85% of doing a play is casting. Uh, and if you're wrong, replace it <laughs> because you're wrong. It's, it's an awful painful thing. But uh, that's why you've got to really be prepared with the script going into the casting. Mm -hmm. But I just uh, – I never consciously made a decision not to act again. It's just that I uh, – we did the first year and then I was able to take over a theater in Vermont. So we went up there in the summer for two years. So it was just a steady stream of three four plays at the studio and then a season of five plays up in Vermont. It was just a momentum that yeah. started and yeah, I think carried it was three years before I took any time off. <laughs> <laughs> and what did I do? I took a bunch of plays with me to read for the coming season. <laughs> well, I think uh, when when you when you're passionate about something, it's real easy to just yeah. get lost in yeah. it. And, What's and was funny about everything that, that makes you happy is yeah. related to that passion yeah. anyway. Yeah. What was funny about that vacation is we picked a place uh, down at a little tidal island called Beckwe, which is way down on the Grenadines, kind of near St. Vincent. And we got there, and my wife said, "No." shop talk for two weeks <laughs> and the owners of the place were the former casting woman for Lawrence Olivier's national company and a West End producer that she was married to. They were the owners. So what did we talk Good about luck. every night at dinner? <laughs> and my wife said, I don't believe this. We're way down here in this tiny island. And we end up with the casting director for the National Theater and a West End producer. Oh, that's hilarious. It was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no getting away from it. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So... As your as your acting uh, classes built and your productions built, um, how big did you see things becoming? How quickly did it 
did it grow from just a small little company to? Well, it grew uh, pretty well. I mean, I think the first season we did one or two plays, and it just ultimately grew into a five-play season, and we expanded. Uh, uh, we needed more space than I could have on 81st Street, and we had another move down to 3rd Avenue uh, and 26th Street, and we were there for about eight years. And that's when everything happened for us. Uh, I did a new play called The Trip Back Down by John Bishop, and uh, the times came, uh, and Walter Kerr gave us a tremendous review. And the phone started ringing off the hook with Broadway producers. And I was my own box office. So I would answer it. Uh, Good morning. It's T. Schreiber Studio. And I heard this voice say, I would like to speak to Mr. Schreiber. And I said, speaking. And he said, Mr. Schreiber, this is Otto Preminger calling. (laughs) I just just threw the phone up in the air. <laughs> no, it was incredible. But we had everybody was coming after the show for Broadway until Rose finally took it and we did it, the trip back down. That's fantastic. And that that kind of really opened doors. And uh we steadily built. I I, I started adding some teachers and uh some body work and vocal work and uh, built it into something that I, I really wanted it to be that covers all the bases. Mm-hmm. And uh the productions helped a lot uh, with getting students. And then as we grew, you know, uh, a couple of people like Ed Norton really made it big. And that's been a wonderful advertisement for us. Well, I was going to ask uh, about that. When when you've got students coming in, I mean, I, I, obviously I saw the photos of Ed Norton in the hallway. Yeah. Um, somebody like that, how quickly do you recognize kind of the the breakouts? Like with him, this was incredible. Uh, he came in, he was studying with Glor- the late Gloria Maddox, who used to teach for me. And uh, he was just starting to study with me. And we were doing uh, a play by Brian Frio, Lovers. And I was getting ready to go to Japan to direct something. And I said to the director, you got callbacks coming up. I'm not going to be here. But I really suggest you see this guy. <laughs> and I left. And I came back and I said, who'd you cast? And he said, well, I cast Ed Norton. And I took one look in a run-through at Ed. And I called my agent and I said, Michael, you've got to see this guy. And Michael got in touch with him and signed him. And that was when they were doing, uh, what's the movie with Richard Gere? Uh, uh, Oh, uh. I got a bunch of movies running through my head. Anyhow, they, they were about to shelve the movie. And uh, Michael called Shirley Rich, the casting director in New York for 20th Century. I think it was 20th Century. And he said, I've got a guy here that I think you should see. And she said, all right, we'll fly him out. And so Ed, I think, was 24, 25. uh, And they flew him out, put him up in the Sherry Netherlands. And he said, you know, I thought it was going to be like an audition. I go into a room or something like that. And he said, I walk into an airplane hangar. (laughs) <laughs> and there's Sherry Lansing, the head casting person for 20th Century, sitting in the front row. And there's Richard Gere. And he said, Gere was wonderful. And he came over to me and he said, look, Ed, you know, this is the hardest thing you're ever going to have to do. And he said, I got to tell you, I blew the shit out of my first screen test. So <laughs> just read Primal Fear is the name of the movie. Primal ah, Fear. That's it. And he said, just relax and we'll work together. So they did. And they finished. And Ed went back to the hotel. And his phone rang. And he said, Ed, this is... Uh, 
Sherry Lansing calling. It's probably one of the best screen tests we've ever had. But we think you're going to be too old. <laughs> could you come back on Monday? <laughs> it was like, yes. <laughs> I could come back on Monday. Uh, and he said, can I look at the rushes? And she said, oh, no, no, we never do that. And he said, look, I'm not a baby. Can I please come over to the studio and look at the rushes? And, and she said, we don't do that. We don't allow that. He said, please, just give me a break. Let me look at the rushes. And she finally said, oh, for God's sake, come over and look at the rushes. And he went over there and he said, I saw what I did with the lighting. I had my head down and it picked up bags under my eyes. Right. So he said, I knew coming back on Monday because she did say we're going to relight it on Monday to keep my head up. And that's, that's what it took. But he's, he's very bright. Yeah. That's, that's, really, that's a little note for yourself oh, that I, yeah. I know a lot of actors don't yeah. quite yeah. even catch like the idea yeah. of positioning their yeah. head physically yeah. to catch the light differently to yeah. affect how, how they look yeah. age wise. Like yeah. that's, that's an incredibly intuitive thing to yeah. to yeah. do. He said, "I wouldn't have noticed that if I wasn't able to look at the rushes." Yeah, I did. I wouldn't know what to fix. Well, that's weird too because I got a lot of actors that I've worked with and a lot of actors that I've talked to on the podcast um, who don't like to watch their footage. Yeah, like they don't like to see their performances. They don't ever want to take a look at it. Yeah. And I always ask them, "I'm like, how can you not yeah. review what you've done?" Yeah. That's how you can gauge how well you're and effectively you're using your tool, which mm-hmm. is your body. Yeah. You know, how, how do you know if you're opening to the camera correctly, if you never take a look at what you've done? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, that, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, but, and he did that right away. Yeah. And he was, you know, he wasn't nasty about it. And she finally conceived, okay, come in and look at it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Look what happened. And the great thing about him, I mean, he's very bright. But he, he reads and reads and reads. And I know even when he was studying, anything he read that he thought had movie potential, he would try to get in touch with the writer and pitch a movie idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, a lot of actors are not that well read. Right. And, and he really is. And, uh, he re- and he really worked at that career. Yeah. Well, he's, you know considered one of the tops at least in yeah. the hollywood field i'm, I'm yeah. I, I have to confess i'm not super up on you know broadway and yeah. you know the tonys and and where actors fit on the echelons right. in the in the stage world yeah. but uh yeah you mentioned ed norton's name in california and everybody's yeah. like oh yeah yeah that guy's great <laughs> you know um so it was it was interesting not knowing anything about your studio when i walked in here the other day to see his picture on the wall yeah. i was like oh that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. And there's was, a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, images on your walls of, of actors that I recognize from yeah. television and film. Yeah. Um, the 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 actors that kind of break big. I think getting back to the question I was trying to ask, do you recognize those like every year with the new crop of actors coming in? Can you can you tell? Looking at them, which ones you, you think tell, are going to kind of go on to do big things? You can tell presence the minute it walks into the room. Yeah. You can't teach charisma. Either <laughs> the person has it or they don't. Right. That doesn't mean they can't act and they can't work. They're probably not going to carry a show or a lead because they just don't have that kind of charisma. Right. I mean, this is the kind of person that carries a show that walks in the room and the party kind of stops. <laughs> and everybody says, oh, who's that? Right? Right. It's either there in the person or it's not. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it, uh, so much, I know, I know Sam Christensen, who teaches here, uh, teaches a whole image class. And it, really getting actors to know how they read 
when they walk into a room or walk out on stage. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of actors don't know how they read or they're trying to sell something. And Sam's big theory, and it's mine too, is stop asking what are they looking for. Stop it. Stop asking what the stop audience is looking that question. for. What are they looking for? Right. They're looking for you. Right. That's what you got to come through with. Because some actor can give you a bum steer. They've just come out the audition and the person says, oh, David, uh, they're looking for such and such and such. Right? It, and it could be setting you up. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, they're not looking for that at all. You just got to trust your presence, especially if you haven't read the script or whatever, and what you walk in the room, what you throw off. You got to know what that is. Well, I think in the end, the only thing that you're truly selling when you walk into a room is yourself. Yes. That, that is all you have. Even, David, when you're doing a role. Yeah. There's nothing that you can act that is more wonderful than what you are. Mm. And the more you can open up, and that's a big thing in our classes with exercises and things like that, getting you to let yourself open up the instrument. Right. The good, the bad, the ugly. But you might play all over it in that rage. Yeah. I, I, I try to tell my actors I want them to get to a point where they can get out of their own way. Exactly. And not be in their head so much. Get out and of just, just occupy the space. Yeah. And and be present in the moment. Yeah. If you can be present in the moment, then yeah. you're going to find the performance. Yes. Yeah. At least in my experience as a oh, director. Yeah. Yeah. But anytime I've had an actor walk in so far up inside their head, yeah. trying to analyze every single yeah. moment from word to word within yeah. a script, like, it's not math. No. no. And it's <laughs> you not have to feel work, it. You everything's know? worked out in their head. Yeah. And nothing's happening. Yeah. Uh, that, that's... It's like somebody with a brilliant technique. I mean, there's actors that are very successful that I think are brilliant technicians. Mm -hmm. And I admire them. They never move me. Right. Because they don't connect. Right. They don't really connect. And the actor that connects and then takes chances and risks is the actor that I go, whoa. Right. Yeah. I, I, I refer to it as, um, actors with a, a bag of tricks. Yeah. Like there, there are some actors who are very popular and, mm -hmm. and have, you know, careers that I can only dream to have, mm -hmm. but you watch their films or, you know, if you see them on stage, you can tell that they're just, they're emoting. They're yeah. not really feeling it, yeah, you know, exactly. But they emote well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have a and, technique. but I can, I can always spot like, Hey, that actor did that exact same performance two films ago. Yeah. And like, you just change the camera angle and it's oh, the same yeah. take, you know, cause that's, that's their cry face, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, like they're really not feeling it. You yeah. can tell they're not feeling it. If you're studied, you can tell they're not feeling yeah. it. There, there are the casual moviegoers and yeah. stuff, of course, who. Oh, they're crying. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. they they are empathetic just because they see yeah. somebody crying. But, yeah. they, but there's nothing more exciting when two actors are open to each other, and it's, it's not the same every night. We had there's some an energy actors in come room. here that were working with Mark Rylance in Jerusalem, and they said it is such fun because every night he gathers us in the theater at half hour, and we play an imaginary volleyball game of the seats in New York or so. <laughs> and he said, we're all warmed up. And then he always tells us, throw something different at me tonight. Mm -hmm. Don't throw at me what you did last night. Throw something different at mm -hmm. me. And he said, it's such fun because it's a new play every night. Yeah. And that's, and, and I know an Alfred Molina was speaking here. He said, if there's anything I hate is when an actor comes off stage and comes up to me and said, boy, I really nailed it tonight. Because he said, I look at them and said, well, then you need to come back tomorrow night. There's nothing more to work on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's very true. Yeah. You never nail it, yeah. you know? And that actor that finds different things with each performance, not changing the blocking or changing the rhythm. I don't mean that, but a, a, maybe a little different kind of line reading, a, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, just, just a slight yeah. tweak in inflection yeah. here and, that's, and there. That actor is so much fun to play off of mm -hmm. uh, because it, you're, you're not going to get the same look at the same moment you know, every night. Well, we're, we are we are ever-changing creatures, yeah. right? Like our, our daily experience affects who we are from moment to moment. Exactly. So especially on stage, yeah. you know, and I, and I, I did take theater at Baylor mm -hmm. uh, when I was in college. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I, I have some experience on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, but what I found is, is, is because we are different human beings from night to night, from mm -hmm. show to show, yeah. it's impossible for every show to be exactly the same. And that's the joy of yeah. performance. Yeah. And even on my film sets, um, I like to try and bring as much, like stage mentality to our performances as I can. I do mm -hmm. really long takes. Um, I'll shoot multi-camera mm -hmm. so that the actors are free to perform a scene, not just do line at a time yeah. kind of readings because I want them to be able to interact and I oh. want them to feel natural within a scene. And I want to shoot five, six takes yeah. so that every takes a little different. I can pick the one that has the best energy because yeah. <laughs> even yeah. from moment to moment from take to take they're yeah. they're a little different. They're a little more tired one take mm -hmm. or they, find a little bit of energy or discover something yeah. in the previous take that they elaborate on the next go. Mm -hmm. I love that process. Mm -hmm. um, I'll even let actors kind of ad lib lines leading into a scene mm -hmm. first and I'll shoot the ad libs mm -hmm. because sometimes magic happens yeah. when they're just trying to be the characters yeah. without worrying about the lines that were previously written for yeah. them. They're just leading their way into it, yeah. trying to find that emotional yeah. connection I love that. I love I love watching actors work their way through stuff like yeah. that, and, and just be present. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, spontaneity with it. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I love working with actors. I've done a little bit of acting this year, just because I think as a director, for me on film, it helps me direct better. Uh -huh. To occasionally get on the other side of the yeah. camera and remind myself what it's like to hurry up and wait all the time yeah. on a film set. <laughs> You know, film acting is very different from stage acting. And I, the validation, too, I'm, we're trying to teach here with all the actors, the validation of yourself, which is really important. Uh, I always use an example that Maggie Gyllenhaal talked about when she was doing The Secretary. Mm -hmm. uh, and she said, you know, I was kind of new on the scene, but she said, I will never ever be able to replay James Spader. That's the first time we got to one of the kinky scenes. He said to the director, look, everybody off the set, except you and me and Maggie, until we get comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. We'll save you time. We'll save you takes. Let us get comfortable. And then you can bring the rest of the crew in. And she said, I could have hugged him. And she said, we did. And Maggie is so ingenuous in that movie that she makes that movie work and not just be a porn flick. Right. And but she said, I was so grateful to them. And I learned such a lesson because the director was very willing to do that. And I say to actors here sometimes, if you just go to the director and say, I'm not resisting doing this. This is very hard for me to do. The character is very relaxed with it. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Give me a chance here without everybody sitting around to get comfortable. I think it's important for an actor to have that kind of comfort level with their director. Yeah. That you know, we're in this together. Yeah. And if an actor's struggling for some reason, they should have that ability to go talk yeah. to their director and say, this is what I need yeah. to be able to achieve what yeah. we're trying to do yeah. together. 
Yeah. And uh, sometimes it can be lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I don't want to say that. I really don't want to say those words. I'm going to have to find in myself permission because the character is very free with that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what work do I do to find that when these words just stick in my mouth, whether they're racial words or whatever they are? But I, I, I need some time with that. Mm-hmm. I can't just give it to you right away. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not fighting you. I'm not saying rewrite it, or I won't say that. I'm not being defensive at all. But I just uh, yeah. I actually had a I had an actress um, last year who was doing stuff with me. Um, she had a concern about uh, portraying a particular role in a in a thing that we were doing because she was worried that as a feminist, it wasn't portraying. Uh, how we look at women in the right light. Yeah. And, you know, we had a a long discussion about it and, you know, I told her if the context of the whole scene is taken into account, the character that belittles your character for looking a certain way is a complete and total scumbag. And everybody watching the scene understands that. So really the commentary isn't that he's, making a comment about a woman not looking the way she should. It's right. that he's a despicable human being yeah. for making the comment yeah. that a woman, you know, looks the way yeah. she does. I think, you know, you have to maybe try and wrap your head around that yeah. and, and or so play we, your response. So we worked, yeah. So we worked around that a bit and, and, you know, in the end we found a way to kind of play it a little differently from how it was written without completely changing the scene to, to allow her yeah. the, the ability to feel comfortable yeah. in, in the part. Sometimes but I it said, took, it took some say work, the, say the you know? word like you hate it. Yeah. Uh, Edward Albee played death of Bessie Smith. Uh, uh, they use the word nigger a lot. And there's mm. a look at the, Oh, I don't want, I said, say it like you hate it. It'll come out exactly right. I had the same thing with Virginia Woolf with a Martha. They said, I hate that word prick. Uh, do I have, and I said, yes, you have <laughs> yeah. to say it. Say it, say like it with the disdain it, that you have for it. You prick. Yeah. Uh, the minute she did it, I said, say it just like that, that you hate the word. Yeah. What yeah, a great but, play that is. Yeah, I think it's one of the great plays of the 20th century. Yeah. I just got to watch it uh, in San Diego yeah. uh, a few months ago. Oh, it was wonderful and It's about two people that save a marriage. Yeah. I mean, the other two people are destroyed, but <laughs> <laughs> they saved their marriage. I'm, I'm not sure Nick doesn't deserve to be destroyed, but yeah. <laughs> I had played Nick once. Yeah. So oh, it's well, a great play. That must have been a fun play. To... And Edward's a wordsmith, and please use his words. Oh, yeah. He said an interesting thing when he spoke here. He said, if actors would pay attention to my punctuation, we could cut two hours out of every rehearsal. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing sometimes you say, oh, and I go, there's an ellipsis there. You can't blow through it. Right. That ellipsis is there for a purpose. And if you take the punctuation, especially because I've directed all, it'll take you exactly to the rhythm. Hmm. If you ignore it, you're making more work for yourself. Yeah. And there's definitely a rhythm to, yeah. to that play. Oh, a yeah. lot, of, lot of plays. There's, oh, a, there's yeah. a real rhythm to the way that. Yeah. The, the language needs to Yeah, and I hate that. I, I'm a big stickler. I want the line word for word. You're the actor. This is the writer. I'm the director. We're here to make the play work. Mm-hmm. And you're not a playwright. <laughs> you know, please. I, I, God, thank you. And I love actors to get off book as fast as possible because then we can really work. Right. I, I was amazed talking to uh, 
uh, an actress, uh, uh, I just saw her, <laughs> Judith Light. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she was saying, I always come to the first rehearsal off book. I don't set the lines, but I've got to be off book or I don't know what I'm working on. Mm. She's doing a one woman show now downtown. I just saw it last Saturday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I just agree with that so much. Because you can really move in rehearsal. Because if you don't know what you're going to say next, or what, what I can't direct anything. There's a train wreck. Right. You know, if I, you, you don't know where you are in the script. Right. So how can I start directing? Right. Yeah, yeah. If you have to keep looking at your book. Yeah. And pull yourself out of character. Yeah. yeah. What am I directing? I can't direct anything. So, I, and I don't agree that uh, it's the old actor studio thing. Oh, I'll learn the lines in rehearsal because I got to feel it. The lines will take you to that. Mm-hmm. You'll find out what you got to feel. You find out what you're going to have to work on. Right. 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 I don't want just the lines either. I want an inner life behind it. But the, the faster you get off those words and make them part of you and not your own substitute with words. God, that annoys me. And I think it came out of soap opera and things like that where everybody started adding, well, you know, you know, to, to, get, to ease into the line. Well, yeah, like soap opera actors, they have to learn... They have to learn their lines really, really fast. I had a woman here that got 50 new pages on Tuesday night to shoot Wednesday. Yeah. She was up all night. Yeah. 50 new pages. Yeah, up all night learning lines and yeah. then having to be awake yeah. <laughs> and functional on yeah. set, yeah. you know, all yeah. day long. It's yeah. I soap opera actors are really yeah. like they get put through the ringer. Oh, they do. It's not. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people appreciate the work that soap opera actors do as much as they should. Yeah. Because um, in a lot of ways, it's the closest thing to stage acting mm-hmm. in in film production. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're doing 50 pages a day, every day. Yeah. They've got to just learn those lines, step on stage, do it one time. Like, yeah. A lot of times, they only do one take. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the closest yeah. thing to well, stage acting. I did a couple of television things as an actor. It it, was, it's intense. It one take, we're not doing another take. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really intense. Um and I, you know, I feel bad when I hand five pages off to an actor. I'm like, hey, you got like an hour to learn these. But that's the deal. It's you know? a good discipline because <laughs> they're going to get hit with that. Yeah. Or adjustments. Uh, I had two actors and they both, uh, what's his name? Peter. He's married to Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, primal Fear, not Primal Fear, uh, Dead Man Walking. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Peter Anyhow, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was one of Peter's first big auditions, and there's Sean Penn, and there's Tim Robbins, the director, and he said, okay, Peter, you're going to do an improv here uh, with Sean, and I want you to start out, you're a college kid, I want you to start out as a real wise ass, I want you to lose it halfway through, and I want you to be a puddle on the floor by the end of it. Do you want to go out and think about it? And Peter said, no, I just want to do it. <laughs> and they did it. And he did it. Mm-hmm. And Tim Robbins looked down on him on the floor and said, that was really good. Can you do that again? And Peter said, I think so. <laughs> and he got out and did it again. And he got the role. But uh, he uh, had another actor, the same thing, that the director said, I really like that monologue. I want you to do it again. I want to see you lose it. And I do an exercise in class where you do lose it. It's mm-hmm. kind of a... Um, like a repetition exercise. I give you a phrase and you go, and the actor used one of the phrases Yeah, and he got the job. And, <sighs> and I said, you've got to be ready for it. Cause the director sitting there doesn't know you and doesn't know if you can get something like that. Yeah. And there's big money at stake. Yeah. And they, you, they get into a shoot and you might not have any rehearsal. 
and you yeah. can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's funny. I love rehearsals. Yeah, you know the the, the old theater side of me loves rehearsing. Yeah. I love the, the I love the process of discovering a character and discovering a scene and mm-hmm. figuring out the blocking. Um, but yeah, on on the film sets. Yeah. You know, oftentimes there's just no time for it. No Usually like, a television is like, this is your space. We got 10 minutes to figure out where you're going to walk yeah. and then we're going to go, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, because comedy is usually the only thing gets a rehearsal mm-hmm. television. Yeah. Because drama usually doesn't. It's just, and I try to get that prepared for that. It's you're going to have to just jump in and do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I wish all of you someday as an understudy can get thrown on the stage. <laughs> it's the best training. I remember being thrown on like that and you just got to do it. Yeah. You know the lines, but the stage manager walks you through it in the morning, and you're on in the afternoon. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm always impressed when understudies yeah, take terrifying. the stage. <laughs> but it's a great experience because you just got to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I, I did a little bit of reading about you before before I while I was on the train coming up. <laughs> um, you directed a play once upon a time, uh, nominated for a Tony. What was it? Were you were you nominated for a Tony? Uh, not a uh, K two was nominated. K two, I was? wasn't nominated. Okay. Uh, Ming Cho Lee got uh, a Tony for best set. Oh, okay. There's two guys on top of the mountain. K two. How do you do a set for that? Ming did an incredible set, an incredible mountain. Uh, it was breathtaking uh, when the curtain opened up and the smoke, uh, and the two guys are way up on top of K two the mountain. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and the first line is, how the fuck do we get down? That's the first line of the play. <laughs> you know, and one of them has fallen. It's got a broken leg. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and I had, the producer rented the theater. And I said, I've got to have the set up the first day of rehearsal. Because there's three climbs mm. where the guy goes after a rope and is getting pick up, picking up some other ice screws. And I, I said, I've got to have the set to work on. Because he's got to work with the crampons. He's got to work with the climb. He came out of it with forearms and, <laughs> and calf muscles that were unbelievable. And he falls at one point. And that is really hard to do. It was completely safe. Yeah. But I know the my climbing, my guy that taught the climbing, said, he said, Terry, it's the most terrifying moment in the world. Yeah. When all of a sudden you're out there in space and you're falling. Yeah. And you just trust that person. That's repelling you. You just hope to God that, that they got your back. He'd, he'd yeah. be way up in the top grid of the theater and fall from there. Wow. And it was incredible. <laughs> uh, it was very funny, too, because there's an avalanche in it. And the stage manager came out and said, Terry, now we got the avalanche coming up. And when I call it, it's a go. You can't say, stop it, Arlene, let's rerun it. Because <laughs> it's, it, it's on. And we got to clean up afterwards. So give me notes. But don't yell out, stop, stop, stop. Don't yell out. <laughs> we got to take it. Yeah. It was a very funny note. Oh, it's <laughs> hilarious. What was, the, what was the biggest production that you, you put on? I would say K2 because of the yeah. technical demands. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Devour the Snow. I seem to end up for a couple of years of my life with snow plates. Disaster. <laughs> this was about the Donner Pass people. They oh, got yeah. Up there in the Donner yeah. Pass. And ate each other? Why it went to Broadway, I will never know. Because it, it was about the survivors eating the people that didn't survive. Uh-huh. So why it was on Broadway, we lasted three nights. I will never know <laughs> why Manny Eisenberg took that to Broadway. 
Well, and then Trip Back Down was the first big one. That was if we all went from off off Broadway to Broadway, and that was really a thrill. That's John cool. Cullum played the lead. Nice. Uh, but uh, that was but and, and solving even problems here in the little theater. We just did Harper Reagan that we got some awards for. But I went to my designer and said, "How are we going to do this play? There's eleven scenes, and I don't want to stop. It's got to flow. Right. And I don't want." I hate blackouts, so I want to. I want to just move from one scene to another, and it jumps around. You're on a footbridge. Uh, you're in the house. Uh, you're here. You're there. And he came up with an idea with 16 blocks, and the cast moved the blocks and built the set each time. The audience loved it, hmm. and it, it flew. Yeah. It really flew. Yeah. And I like things like that. And the audience is in on it. That's why I hate blackouts. Who are you fooling? Audiences, audiences enjoy behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, we did we did noises off when I was in high school. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh. Yeah, and we had a tiny ass little stage. Like our 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 high school theater was in the round, um, and basically they gutted four regular classrooms and then created this low ceilinged stage area. Right. Uh, in the round, it seated about 60 or 70 people. And one corner was kind of the backstage area. So it was a little drape. And you went out that door to go to a different classroom for yeah. dressing room and whatever. Um, our, our teacher decided to do Noises Off, a two-story yes, I know. You have to. stage play. That's right? why There's no way to do it around it. You only have 10 feet of height. Yeah. Well, that's all we had. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> that's all we had was yeah. 10 feet of height. But we did the second story at like – you know, two, two steps up, uh-huh. you know, and it was just, it was real short, but uh-huh. you know, it gave the audience enough yeah. idea that, you know, it was a multi-level place, but we had to turn the whole set in front of everybody. Cause there was no drape yeah. to cover the theater in the round, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so my whole, I was in charge of the, the whole tech crew that handled the, the props and uh-huh. the stage and everything. And we did the whole turn in front of the audience. There was just no way around it. Yeah. And every night it was two turns yeah. They took about 10 minutes a piece uh-huh. and the audience was told they were allowed to stay or they were yeah. allowed to go. Yeah. They stuck around oh, every yeah. night, both times yeah. all the way through. And we got curtain call. Like yeah. the tech crew got a curtain yeah. call every night because yeah. the audience the first night demanded it. Yeah. They, 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 they applauded and yeah. were calling out for the, for the technicians. Yeah. And so we, we got to come out and take a bow to too. Why try to fool them with a blackout? You know, right. they hear all the bumping and moving around. Just show it. <laughs> They're all struggling to see it in the dark yeah. anyway. They're trying to figure out who's yeah. moving stuff around. Is it an actor moving yeah. it? Or is it a crew member? <laughs> and the question you asked me, I've done some plays in Japan and I was doing streetcar named desire and it was our final dress rehearsal. And I wanted the rape scene to be on the table where Stanley just picks her up, puts her on the table, lifts her dress up, and we had a whole thing of tearaway panties, and we hit it with a light because uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a savage rape. Mm-hmm. It's not a love rape at all. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden, I see that they didn't remove the birthday cake. And he picks her up and he's heading for the table. And I'm up out of my chair starting to run down the aisle. And he lifted her dress up and he sat her right 
down in the birthday cake. <laughs> and she was covered in chocolate. And he had lifted her dress up. And I finally got it And I, I speak very little Japanese, but I was saying, no, no, cakey, no cakey. <laughs> and every, everybody was laughing. I mean, everybody was just, she had to go take an entire shower. <laughs> but it was like one of those things that I was just two seconds too late in seeing what was going to happen, that they hadn't removed the cake. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. What, what what was what? How did you end up directing stuff K2. in Japan? Uh, they brought me over they to K two there. Uh, the two Japanese actors. One of them had climbed uh, Fuji. To okay. Get ready for it. Nice. Uh, they they're very. I only worked with one difficult. I did four or five shows there, and I only worked with one difficult actor in Ben. who was very miscast. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that actor right here. Uh, God, he was a good actor. Yoshi uh, Yakusho. God, he was a good actor. Yeah. yeah. And Marty came over the playwright. He said, outside Ian McKellen, that's the best I've ever seen that role done. Wow. Yeah. And wow. that was funny because Marty had told me over lunch, please don't just make it a prison camp play. There's humor in it. And I said, yeah. And he said, look for the humor. You, you know the play, right? I don't. It's got the most theatrical moment because they, they're picked up for being homosexual. Uh, and it was a gay festival in, in Japan. Uh, and uh, he's had to beat his lover to death in front of the uh, Nazis to prove that he wasn't gay. So he beat him to death on the train, Rudy, and Horst, the other person, watched the whole thing, and they end up in camp together, and Max is just destroyed. And Horst gradually brings him out and brings him out. They're all pink stars. They had to wear pink stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a scene at the end of the act they, they haul rocks from one side of the stage to the other. And they had punishments like that in those camps. And uh, then they get a break every two hours of standing at attention for 10 minutes. So the end of the first act, they're standing at attention. And they're 10 feet apart. And they make love. It's an incredible, it's one of the most theatrical scenes you will ever see on stage. That sounds fascinating. And, and he brings horse back to love. And at the end of the play, that's repeated again. And uh, the one character says, no, I've got a headache. And I turned to my interpreter and I said, because I wanted that line, because it's a funny line. And, uh, and she, I said, is that line in the script? And she said, yes, but what does it mean? <laughs> I said, oh, well, in America, it means I don't want to make love. And she said, oh, the Japanese audience will never understand that. And I said, well, what about I got my period? And she said, no, no, we say I have a guest in the house this week. Said, oh, God, put, <laughs> perfect. put that line in. And Marty was sitting next to me when that moment came up. And I whispered to him and said, oh, God, that's great. <laughs> and, and the audience, they, when they go to a drama, it's hard to get them to laugh. Mm-hmm. But there was this whole titter through the audience. That's so fantastic. We they were it's wonderful. I did Streetcar and Bent, and I did uh, Miracle Worker twice. Nice. And she was, she was wonderful that's fantastic. But they really come to work. Sometimes you get the older acts. I couldn't get Mitch to kiss Blanche. And because he kept saying, but Teddy's son, we don't do that. And I said, but Mitch's son, we are not in Tokyo. We're in New Orleans. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to do it. Okay. Right. I said, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it must be really interesting bringing American plays to that culture. Because yeah. yeah. they're wildly different cultures. Yeah, yeah very. Yeah. And the manners. And, uh, I know the first time I went with K2, my translator said, Terry, if you learn one word, 
learn and that means thank you very much for a good day's work. And she said, if you don't say that at the end of rehearsal, the actors are going to think you don't like them and they're not going to stay here all night. <laughs> so I remember the first time I bowed and said, oh, it's got some This whole thing cry broke out in this room. <laughs> and we all trooped out. <laughs> oh, that's great. So for anybody who's in New York or wanting to come to New York, who's listening to my show, uh, how do they check out uh, the T. Shriver studio? They can just go to our web. Okay. Shopper Studio, uh, and it lists the classes. Uh, uh, we set up anybody interested in studying here. All they have to do is call, and according to where they are as an actor, uh, sometimes we do uh, a general talk. We've kind of gotten away from those. So now we break it more down individual. Like if somebody's just beginning, there's the teachers here that just teach the beginning classes. Mm-hmm. If they're interested in the conservatory or some of our intensives, they would talk to Peter Jensen. I teach three advanced classes. So if they're interested in that, they talk and audition for me. Okay. And our plays are advertised. We're in the Off-Off-Broadway. I'm just pleased to say we got the IT, the Innovative Theater Awards coming up mm-hmm. in about three weeks. And we're up for 13 awards. Wow. So I'm really pleased. And, That's uh, fantastic. Because uh, the four shows, there's something from every show that has been selected. Uh, nice. Uh, so I'm really pleased about that. Yeah, that 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 like it's like it's nice to win one award yeah but like if you can be nominated for a lot of stuff yeah i find that far more impressive because that shows a consistency of quality that's what i'm pleased about it It was three different shows so it wasn't just one show there was yeah and uh, we we only do about four pieces of work now in this season Mm -hmm. uh so we're getting ready to open on october 16th with motherfucker with the hat by stephen gerges i went to my minister because we always put posters up at the church. And I said, Michael, <laughs> what do you want me to do about this? Because we can make it MF asterisk asterisk. And he said, no, uh, we'll put it in the bulletin, but we're just going to talk about it. And I said, Michael, you advertise this as a church for all people. Now, come on. <laughs> and he said, it's the kids seeing that and asking if that means what it means. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I like Stephen Gerges' work. Do you know him at all? No, I don't. We did uh, Jesus Hop the A-Train. Take a look at that sometimes. Really a good play. Okay. And I did the last days of Judas Iscariot that he wrote. Okay. Uh, and it, I'm actually, I want, I, it's something I've been saying for a year or so. I want, I want to direct a, a stage play like uh-huh. uh, back in San Diego. Uh, we have a pretty active well, theater scene in San Diego. Jesus so the H, right? I'll check that out. And they're all interracial plays too. Nice. Uh, I used a woman as Jesus in uh, the last days of Judas Iscariot. I called Stephen. I said, would you mind? Cause I mean, at my church, it's he, she. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, uh, he said, no, no, I don't, I don't like that at all. And she was really very good. I, I get a note from her every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, stop by. I couldn't I didn't find you. <laughs> it's a very That's nice great. note to come into. But he's he's kind of contemporary Clifford Odets. Okay. He writes about the street. And motherfucker was set like it up in Spanish Harlem. Nice. And it's funny. But it's very touching. It's it's people that have grown up together. It's kind of like Shanley in the Bronx. You okay. know, it's people that have gone to school together, lived together, married, had kids, never move out of the, the area. And it's funny because there's a lot of drugs and drinking, and yet two of them are vegans. And they get into a big discussion about a vegan diet. That's worth the price of admission. Oh, I, How are you cooking this? I definitely want to see that. Oh, yeah. I, I became vegan in April. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, are you going to be here I'm in mid-October? Uh, unfortunately not. I, yeah. I, I have to head back. I'm, I'm 
I'm uh, producing some shows in October. I got to be oh, back in San Diego. What are you Diego doing? For, uh, I haven't announced them on the podcast yet, so uh, I'll uh, I'll tell you off off the record. Off the record, because <laughs> they're, they're not public knowledge. Um, but uh, uh, Melanie speaks so very highly of her experience here. Um, and she's she, just started studying with me, so yeah, I'm anxious to work with. And her. when she uh, when she said that uh, I could get a chance to to chat with you, I I, I jumped on it because. Uh-huh. Uh, Melanie's acted for me for about 16 years. Oh God. Um, pretty much all of her film work has been for me. Yeah. Um, and so she I, came I, very I, close I to getting, we did a new play called natural life. She came very, very close to getting that. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. I'd ask her to do some vocal work after that. Cause it was kind of like knocked her out of the audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a new play. And yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to see her yeah. in New York. Cause I think this is where she should be. So, um, I'm glad she's she's here because yeah. you know I, I got a tour of of your space the other day and yeah. been looking around and now I've had a chance to talk to you and I think uh, I think she's in a wonderful place. Thank so, you. Thank you for for chatting with me on our you show. You're going to tell me a little bit about what you're going to do, or, or don't I'm you? I'm going to do it when I hit when, stop. When you turn off. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Um, so um, thank you, and and yeah. yeah, everybody who's who's interested in in studying in New York, you know, make sure you check out T. Schreiber Studios. And, uh, you know, all the, all the different courses that they have here, um, it'll be totally worth your time, um, from everything that I've seen here and from the, the actors that I have already spoken to who, cause we do have a lot of on camera work here as well. Oh, good. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. Cause you know, it's multidiscipline, you know, if you're acting, you're acting, yeah. you know, yeah. you should be able to act everywhere. So. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, David. This was a pleasure. All right. It was a nice chat. I'm going to hit stop, and then eventually I'm going to go find out where I'm staying in the Bronx. Brave brave the heat again. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. (laughs) Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Ears.